I am really glad that you are here this morning. I am so grateful that you chose to battle the elements once again. All right. And if you're thinking about going boating today, then I'm really glad you're here. You know. But each week we worship our amazing, our, our loving and gracious God. Each week we open up the book and we ask the Holy Spirit to be able to teach us and convict us and encourage us. And each week we get to leave here different people. Not because of some really great songs or special skits or a terrific speaker. Because nothing like that works. Because sometimes we don't have any of that here. Nothing. But we do have God. And we have an opportunity to be able to, wow, see and feel and understand all that He has for each one of us. We're going to turn to the book of John once again. So if you open up your Bibles, you can go to John chapter 11 or open those flat screens and uh, just kind of uh, swipe to the right spot. But as many of you know, if you've been with us in the book of John, this biography is by, was written by one who lived with Jesus and loved him dearly. You see, John had an agenda when he wrote his gospel. And when he came to us, it was found in John chapter 20, verse 31. And he said, all these things are written in order that we might believe in the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing in his name, we might have life. Yeah. You know, today our text and our story are puzzling it's a story, though, that most of us can relate to. It's actually a story about being bis- disappointed with God. You know, Julie opened up sharing how she struggled with one of our songs. Well, honestly, if you don't struggle with that song in life sometime, there's probably something wrong with you. But we all... If we're honest, we don't publicly say it. We don't even write it down at times. But there are times we just flat out are disappointed with God. Wow. In our text, Christ seems indifferent. In our perspective and view, well, Jesus and God, they're never supposed to be indifferent, right? Aren't they just totally in control of everything? But in our text, Christ seems indifferent and a person dies. In our world, it could be a death of a loved one or the death of a relationship. Both of them are devastating. It could mean a lost job, a failed interview, an investment gone bad, a disability or a sickness but we're disappointed. We thought if for some reason we follow God and we listen to God and we read a verse a day or two and 
I, I mean, God should bless us and God should take care of us and there never should be any of these, well, dark times. Well, I actually think that's how Mary and Martha felt. And we're going to read in John chapter 11, starting in verse 1. And I've asked my friend Jeremy to read for us. If you don't have your Bible, you can look on the screen. Uh, but we're going to start chapter 11, verse 1. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, Let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is, a, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sakes I'm glad I wasn't there, for now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. That's a great verse to end up on, huh? Let's pray. Father, we do come before you, and we ask that you would open our eyes. We know, Lord, that uh, there are times we are disappointed with you. But, Lord, uh, most of the time we don't get it. We're not in the same, well, pattern of thinking that you have. So we ask, Lord, that you would teach us today, that you would grow our faith, that you would give us, well, some wings to fly in spite of all the circumstances. We think of all those churches in this area, all those churches around this country and internationally that are meeting today together to worship and adore you, to hear from your word, to give and to share. We thank you, Father, for all of our workers downstairs who are faithfully teaching our kids and caring for them. We thank you, Father, for the ministries that are all over that are proclaiming your word. We ask that you would do a mighty work today. And we thank you that we can be part of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a quick note about our order. In some ways, if you're here every single week, you sometimes, although we're staying in John, think your pastor might be a little bit crazy at times. We go to chapter 12. We go to chapter 18 and 19. And the reason that we have jumped a little bit around is that we did um, have Easter, 
And we did have Mom's Day, and we had this celebration of baptism just a few weeks ago, and there just seemed to be certain texts that jumped out at me in considering some of the things that were happening in the life of our church. Well, today we're going backwards just a little bit to John chapter 11. We will uh, go in the correct order real soon here, and I thank you for your patience. But let me just recap the story that Jeremy just read for us. In chapter 10, Jesus ends up doing all kinds of ministry, all right? And literally, the scriptures tell us that he's doing ministry by the Jordan River, and people are coming to faith. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and people are responding. We could just say there's a little bit of a revival happening at this moment. Well, in chapter 11, Jesus gets a message from Mary and Martha that Lazarus is sick. In fact, he says it twice. Lazarus is really sick. Well... Jesus uh, recognizes that um, he's more than at least sick in our way of thinking. The messenger probably took a day to get to Jesus. Jesus delayed two days, as you saw. And by the time he ended up coming back to Bethany, it was probably four days since Lazarus has died. But Jesus immediately responds verbally. He says, Lazarus' sickness will not result in death. Well, for those around, that's great comforting news. What they didn't understand is the miracle that was going to come. If they had texting and they had phones at that time, they would have known immediately that Lazarus was dead and that Jesus, well, maybe he's just not thinking right. But then the next words out of Christ's mouth are the ones that perplex us. He says this, Lazarus' sickness will bring God glory. Specifically, Jesus will get glory. Jesus will be magnified. The reason that Lazarus got sick is so that people might see me clearer. Oh boy, that goes against every one of our grain. Are you meaning to tell me that Jesus or God is so sadistic that just so he gets magnified, it's okay that there's suffering or sickness here on the planet? John, in our text, makes it crystal clear that Jesus did love this trio. He loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. But he also said he didn't leave for two days. And even when he wanted to go, the disciples clearly remembered Jerusalem's climate and warned Jesus. Now, yes, he did go to the Jordan River. Yes, there was some kind of a revival and people were responding. But Jesus left because things got pretty hot in Jerusalem. They wanted to kill him. So the disciples very clearly just kind of looked at Jesus and says, Hey, did you forget? Did you forget like the last time we were there? If we go back to Bethany, it's going to be curtains for us. You're going to die. And Actually, that 
is what was going to happen. Not right away, but Jesus wasn't afraid of death. And Jesus actually was so in tune with God that he knew that there were still some rough paths ahead of time or ahead of him. Now, Jesus at this moment seems to take a rabbit trail. He really doesn't, but he starts talking about light and darkness. What is going on? But his logic was simple. He just said this, nobody can change the amount of daylight. You know, there's always 12 hours. It's always going to happen, and God's in charge. Likewise, God is in charge of my life. My time on earth is in God's hand, and I'm safe no matter what anybody says or no matter the threats until God takes me home. So don't be concerned, disciples. Trust me, because I trust my Father. Well, still confused, disciples are kind of looking. I'm trying to figure out this whole thing. And Jesus flat out says this. This sickness and experience will literally help you on your journey of faith. The Lord's point was that Lazarus' resurrection from the dead would do more to strengthen disciples' faith than hearing alone. Jesus' time on earth was rapidly nearing its end, and with the cross looming ever nearer, the disciples needed a powerful support for their faith. At that moment, Thomas blurts out, still not getting any of this, still totally clueless, let's go and die with Jesus. That's kind of a weird cry. That's kind of an odd thing to say, but that's honestly what they thought. Now let me cut to the chase. Lazarus, Martha, and Mary needed Jesus. But Jesus didn't move as quickly as they had hoped. Many of us have felt that way more than once. It wasn't about love. We heard again that Jesus loved these folks. It was about action. It was about lack of action. It was about lack of movement. So the question, which has been around for a bit... Why? Why? You know, I asked quite a few people this week and enjoyed their answers and enjoyed their squirming. I gave them scenarios somewhat like this. Hey, if God is loving, if God is caring, if God is... And you put all those adjectives, which are all true. And then you go find out Whoa, you fill in the blank. You have terminal cancer and have three weeks to live. Well, you start praying, the whole church starts praying, everybody starts praying, and you know what? You only get worse. You don't get better. Don't we all love stories that when we start praying and everybody gets better? Yeah, God's working! So when you don't get better, are we actually saying... God's not working. God's sleeping. God's too busy. He had a really, really busy week. Wow. Well, most of them came back 
And some of them are sitting right here, and I'm going to name the ones that gave me these answers. No, I'm not. But most of the answers came back, well, you know what, Rick? God is sovereign, but man has a choice. And I said, that's a great answer, except I didn't ask for this cancer. I want to live more than three weeks. What is God thinking? Well, Rick, you know what? The world is a mess. There's sin. It's rampant. And and because of our disobedience, you know, sickness and illness and all these other things, war and famine have come. And and that is true in, in some cases. Well, the example I gave is someone who loves Jesus and walks with God and desires deeply to be able to further his kingdom with everything in his might. You've got three weeks. He's listening to God. So therefore, we have a little bit of a dilemma. God can and does make something beautiful out of messes. I, I know that. But the question more is, why the messes? Why the messes? Although my words may not comfort you this morning, I do think Scripture should encourage your heart. So let's see if Scripture can answer for us, why do Christians suffer? Well, we're going to go right to our text today and right to exactly what Jesus had to say. But the first reason Christians suffer. And let me just remind you of this. Every reason we put up here and every scripture that we use doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to buy it hook, line, and sinker. I get it. But I do know this, that this is God's unbelievable word to each one of us. And we, not, we may not be ready to receive every one of those words. But it is truth. And it will encourage you on the journey. Well, the first reason is that God will get glory out of your sickness. Out of your pain. Out of your discomfort. We well, can Lazarus was sick so that Jesus would be magnified. There are times sickness and death will happen in order to bring God glory. We may not like that. I get it. But that is true. We saw earlier in John chapter 5 that a man was lame for the majority of his life. And Jesus basically said the same thing. This man was lame so that I might come and be able to touch him and that God would receive unbelievable glory. And we look back at that and say, are you serious? All those years where he can't walk so you could do this, God? And God says, yes. You don't understand it. You don't get it. But but my plans and my ways are so much bigger than yours. In John chapter 9, which was a little recent, there was a man born blind well into his years again. And Jesus came and gave him his sight back. And the disciples' big deal was, hey, who sinned? His parents? Him? Who, who did this? He goes, no. It has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with 
people giving me glory, magnifying me, understanding my authority. Oh, oh. We don't like that answer sometimes because we like to be in control. We like to be king. We like to have all the authority in our lives. But there's a person sitting here or on this planet that's as smart as God and understands all that God knows and does. So the second reason I think that there's pain in our lives is that so we can be productive family members. You see, pain grows our God in our faith. Say, wait a minute, when, when do you mean pain grows our God? Well, you see, most of us keep God in a littler box. And our perspective of God is, okay, this is who God is, and this is how God acts, and this is how... And we just fill in the blanks. But God is so much bigger, so much grander, so much more gracious than anything we can imagine. And so in our lives, sometimes pain is there so that we might see God differently and trust Him differently. In this example, he just shared with the disciples, you know, some of this pain is going to help you really believe. And in your Bibles, I would mark that part. Because what Jesus is really saying is, is that once you see my power and authority here, you're going to trust me differently. And we hate it. We hate the pain that we have to go through. We hate the circumstances that God allows in our life. But there are times that we will never see how big God is and how gracious God is without going through those times. You see, God desires more than anything that we truly know Him and trust Him. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, Peter writes, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through. I'd like to stop right there. I don't care what news you get. I don't care what circumstances you fall in. I don't care if you knew that boss was coming in this morning and firing you or not. You know what's so amazing? Is that whatever the situation, whether it be fear, uh, physical or spiritual or emotional, when we have pain, we're surprised. We think, because we're a God follower, we should be exempt. We do. Because why do bad things happen to good people? It doesn't follow logically for us. But Peter says this, don't be surprised. Hey, when it happens, don't say, oh, I am very surprised that this happened. See, no, this actually, as if it's something strange were happening to you. Instead, be glad. Whoa, glad? Come on. Happy dance? Really? I've never once seen anyone who got <laughs> some fatal news get up and do a little bit of shuffle. You know, cool! You know? No, no, it, it doesn't work that way. 
But there is something about knowing God and trusting God and that He is sovereign. Saying, you know what? These trials are going to make us partners with Christ in His suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing all that who Jesus is. Because the more intimate you get, the more you're going to enjoy eternity. Remember that. The more time you spend with the Lord on this, t- on, on this side of the casket, gives you an unbelievable advantage on the other side of the casket. And we may not understand that. Hey, Rick, we're all going to go to heaven if we follow Jesus. You are. But I'm telling you, there's going to be some that enjoy it a little bit more. Because they've just been so obedient and so listening and, and trusting God. In Philippians 3, our ladies, so one of our ladies' Bible studies going through Philippians, and I told my wife, I said, oh, wow, you get to be in Philippians 3. That's like the greatest chapter. She goes, no, it isn't. I said, okay, well, I, I'm just kind of saying it was like the greatest chapter to me right now. Nah, I, I don't know. What do you do? She's just saying, oh, they're all really great, Rick. Well, Philippians 3, you look at, and and I love verse 10 and 11. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer. No, I want to know him. No, I, Paul says, I want to suffer with him. I want to suffer with him, sharing his death so that one way or another, I will experience and know what the resurrection of Jesus is all about. You see, we need to be productive team members. And sometimes refinement or discipline is critical when on that mission, especially on God's missions. Every one of you, if you're going to run a marathon, you train. You discipline. You eat certain things. You run obnoxiously long runs. All for that one day when you can run 26.2 miles. Isn't that fun? Yeah. But if you just show up, you've been eating pizza every single day. You kind of like have hardly any sleep, and you're going to line up in those outfits and, or lack of outfits, and, and you run. I mean, this is serious. You are never going to make it. Or if you do, you know. We need to discipline ourselves sometimes. And, and this is what happens. If you look at James chapter 1, verses 2, 3, and 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect, or a better translation, mature in everything. So when the troubles come, you trust God and you learn to trust Him in spite of circumstances, and you begin to endure, and as you endure, then there's no circumstances that will ever come in your pathway where you won't have joy. Now, folks, again, I'm not saying let's play a game. But what I am saying, you will know how mature you are in your relationship with Jesus by when lousy things happen to you and you begin to embrace them rather than feel sorry for yourself. That's what you want for your kids. 
You don't want to just shelter your kids all the way through so that eventually when they leave the house, they're babies. Whoa! Who wants a 25-year-old baby? That is like ridiculous. You want them to be able to live by themselves. You want them to be able to cook. You want them to be able to balance their finances. You want them to be able to hold jobs responsibly. Who would raise your kids up so that they remain in diapers? Wow. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a while. Well, the reason is your trials will show that your faith is genuine. You will trust God differently. You will see God differently. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 8, the Apostle Paul says this, and I'm telling you, if anybody had kind of an in with God, it had to be the Apostle Paul, right? And he kept praying. He said, God, take away this thorn. And no one knows what the thorn was, but it was a pain in the neck. He said, can you take this away? I can be a way better apostle if you do that. And all God says, no. (laughs) I'm not going to take it away. Because you know what? My grace is sufficient for you. And what you're going to find out, you're going to learn to trust me a whole lot more because you have a thorn in the flesh. Now, men, I am not talking about who you married. All right? What I am saying is that every one of us have situations and circumstances in our life that force us to trust God on a different level. You know, one of the most positive scriptures in all of the Bibles found in 2 Corinthians 1 three, and four. But we are to encourage one another. And the way that we encourage one another well is by going through pain. I'm sorry, the screen says 1 Corinthians. It should be 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. And, and this is what Paul writes, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When we are troubled, we are able to give them the same comfort God gives us. In fact, the truth is, when we go through pain, when we go through hurt, when we go through discouraging times, and God does comfort us, and we do Feel his arms around us. When someone else goes through something like that, we're able to go to them and say, you know what, I'm a little bit ahead of you on the journey. Not because I'm really smart, but God chose to let me do this. And I'm telling you, my God was faithful. My God was loving. And my God took care of me. How cool is that? Sometimes we think that our journeys are just for us. But God uses our journeys in our life so that we might comfort others. Some of you that I've met with during some really critical times in your life, you will usually hear me pray this. Not that the problem leaves, although I want that to happen. 
Not that there would be some miraculous healing or, or I, I want that to happen. I do. But what will come across really strong is, Father, would you help them feel your arms? I don't know why this circumstance. I don't know why this situation. I don't. I don't. But I know this. You are an amazing God. Would you hug them tightly so they know you know, another reason why we suffer, and we don't really like to talk about this too much, it's, well, because of sin. And it could be ours, or it could be others. You see, in Romans 6.23, most of you know that, but for the wages of sin is death. The natural consequences of sin is death. Whenever we rebel against God, whenever we choose not to listen to God, and we go our own pathway... Well, the only fruit that happens is death. But what God says is this. When we stray, spanking is the way to go. In other words, listen to this. Because holiness is where it's at. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. All right. The author writes this, For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline, and you can put in there spanking, unless you don't want to spank. Then you can keep discipline. But it's always good for us, and listen to the reason, so that we might share in His holiness. We're afraid of that holiness thing, but we talk about it a lot here. Holiness just means clean. It really does. And God says this, as you walk with me and as you confess your sin, maybe three, four, ten times a day, you then well, have the opportunity to live life and to experience all that I have for you. You see, when we confess our sins, we can pray, and He hears us. When we confess our sins, whatever work we do, He empowers us. He gives us the strength and the wisdom when we're holy, when we are sinless. We never ultimately become sinless, you know that. But as we sin, as we rebel against God and we own that and we confess our sins, He faithfully cleanses us. So if we're running, God says, you're not living the way I want you to live. Mostly for your own benefit. Don't you understand that I am king and if you just listen to me, my ways are so much better than yours. You'll be able to not only experience abundant life right here, but you will experience an amazing eternal life. This is so critical. Listen to me. I'm your loving Father. You don't understand all the things you need to understand. So if you're going to run, I'm going to discipline you because I'm so in love with you. Every one of us have heard our parents say this. This, uh, you know, is killing me more than you'll ever know. Well, I don't know what's killing them. But I know this is that nobody likes to discipline. They don't. That's not fun for any normal person. All right? But it's needed. If that son or that daughter is going to 
make some wise choices. And then the verse goes on, no discipline is enjoyable while it happens. Yeah, it's painful. But afterwards, 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 there will be peaceful harvest of right living for all those who are trained in this way. You know, the last reason, and, and again, I, I, there's probably 20, 21 different reasons why we suffer in the Scriptures. There are. There's a whole lot, and, and I just chose a few. But the last reason why we suffer um, is because... Isn't that a great reason? Why do I have to come in? Because. Why can't I stab? Because. Um, why can't... Because. And every parenting class will tell you this. You've always got to give them a reason. Well, you know what? When they're three years old, and they are literally ripping apart your house right now. Oh, John, would you sit down... The ramifications of your actions are are horrendous right now. Really, you should not be using the baseball bat against our walls. It is not really a good thing. Now, honestly, if they're 21 using a baseball bat hitting your walls, talk to them. Okay, I I, I do mean that. And there's different ways to do that. but, But really what sometimes... A parent has no time. Sometimes a parent doesn't even know why. Now, the difference between a parent and God is that God knows why. And we just don't understand sometimes why we have to endure. But again, the better relationship you have with our Father when He says because, yeah, okay, okay, okay. Now, some of the worst advice we can give someone, though, is, hey, you know what? God's going to reveal why your 10-year-old daughter just died in your arms. Wow. I don't know. There's some really hard things that happen. I don't know if you're ever going to find out sometimes. I, I don't. But I know this. My God is worthy to be trusted. Yes. You know, we may not get it on this side of glory. I just want you to know. But we can trust our good, good Father. When hurt happens, and Julie said it magnificently when we opened our service, we either run to God or away. The choice is always ours. You know what's cool? We love the way the Lazarus story ended, don't we? Isn't that cool? If we could just have all our stories end that way, that'd be great. But you know the truth is, and it's not in the Scriptures, but I'm pretty sure it happened, Lazarus died someday. I don't know when. I don't. But I know this, is that he did eventually die again. Had to be pain then. Had to be weeping then all over again. So I know this. I know this. Is that all things do work together for good. We may not see it. We may not. But the promise, and you usually have to do Romans 8, 28 and 29. Not just 28. 
you know. But this is what Paul writes, and we know, K-N-O-W, circle that in your Bibles, make it big, bold it. We know that God causes everything in our lives to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And look at verse 29. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God is making us like his son. He is chipping away all the rough spots. As you spend time with our Lord, he helps you Think like Jesus, and you're becoming more and more and more like Jesus as you spend time. That's why when you get older, and you've spent, well, 20 or 30 or 40 years with our Lord, and you've sat at His feet, you know, some of our gray hairs are amazing to sit next to. To hear of God's faithfulness over and over and over, and their eyes are dancing. It is so cool. Let's watch this clip, a song by Jeremy Camp.
Blessed be your name. You give and you take away, but blessed be your name. Tough times do bring God glory because of the faith of his kids. Here's some resources. Um, We know that we have not even touched all the scriptures and all the scenarios today. But these are some things that have helped me over the years um, kind of figure out and, and work through some of these issues. And uh, we can get you these resources if, if you're struggling in some of these areas and, and would like to dig just a little deeper. Meanwhile, let's pray. Father, we thank you for being our God. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for proving yourself faithful in all these years. Lord, we recognize we do not understand your ways. We do not understand your timing. We do not understand your ultimate plan for every detail in our lives. But you are king. You are sovereign. We can trust you. You are loving and merciful and gracious. And God, we are just so grateful that we can call you dad. Anyone who comes to you by faith, anyone who recognizes their sinfulness and need a Savior can come to you and call you Dad. And you walk with us. And you encourage us on the journey. Lord, during the real hard times, times when it looks so dark, times when it doesn't make any sense at all, would you give us courage? to trust you. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.